country this is, but they were saying that dogs look at humans as like, like how we look at dogs as like these cute other types of beings. They do the same with us. They're like, oh, they're cute. They're different. But cats look at us as just like clunkier, um, clutchier versions of themselves. <laughs> I totally see that. Cats are cool. Cats are cool. Cats have no masters. I mean, like cats, like very much do not do not have an owner and yeah, dogs yeah. like very clearly like are need, need one <laughs> yeah they yeah. need an owner life mm-hmm. could be better it could be more fulfilling and it, and not just by like working for a nonprofit or like right um moving to a different city like no life could be better because we could care about each other more we could mm-hmm. believe in be be proud of like who we are and what we're building together and like working when, towards something for the future. Croissant stretches. Do you go, Ooh, that's a big one. Welcome to the Hegelian friendship simulator. The only podcast on the internet where we try and uncover the truth of the universe, one Wikipedia article at a time. I am, of course, today joined with my um, constant co-host, Alex Virgil. Hey, thanks, John. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing I love more than being described as constant. Um, And, of course, I'm joined by my banging banging and swanging co-host, John Miklas. And of course, we are also joined by NSA informant and our producer, Emmy Sack. Hello. Uh, hello, guys. How are we doing? How is everyone? How's everyone? Good. Good to hear. Yeah. No, doing good. Um, yeah. We uh, we sent we sent a, a an innocent cop to jail this week. Oh. <laughs> fuck yeah we did he's not anything but in, innocent um no. he's he was just um found guilty Derek chauvin rest in piss rest in piss in the words of pat robertson put him under the jail <laughs> put him under the jail do you guys that. do you realize that that was the first the first time in minnesota history that a white cop went to jail for killing a black man uh, d- not surprising yeah, it makes me wonder how many what that's like in other states. I mean, I'm sure, there's other states where that's never happened. Oh my god, a hundred percent. Like Wyoming. Yeah, probably. Um, um, actually, Wyoming. I you know I like to shit on Wyoming. It's easy to shit on Wyoming. I think, you know, the biggest like social news to come out of that was the murder of a a gay teen. Yeah, um, um, Laramie is. Yeah, that's the story, right? Wyoming, like I think, Shepherd. also was was like one of the first, if not the first, state to uh, ratify the Nineteenth Amendment, women's suffrage. Ah, oh. it was either Wyoming or weirdly Utah, and oh. I don't think there was a political ulterior motive. I genuinely think that they were just like, yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, it's such a weird cultural element up in like the in the mountain north where it's just like. A lot of people who really just don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. And as a, as as politic, like, I'm pretty fundamentally okay with that, you know? <laughs> like, I can, like, I get that, you know? But 
but at the same time then you know that breeds like a certain element of right just like very you find yourself in weird places oh totally uh, i mean one of my like long-term rabbit holes right now is just like the idea of when and why and how certain states were added to the union Mm. like um the missouri compromise there's like a whole thing about uh like the the abolitionism that led to abraham lincoln was the 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 beginning of that thread was because of the missouri compromise where mainers were very like were super they were like staunchly abolitionist because of and there was some economic reason as well but like yeah and and because of the missouri compromise they got really pissed a bunch of them moved out towards Chicago because that was kind of the natural move west. And so that's mm-hmm. why Chicago and Illinois early on were like pretty staunchly abolitionist, abolitionist. as well. And then there's like some Lincoln connections that, you know, that kind of stuff. And then meanwhile, like all these Western states are getting introduced to to the Union. And we think of we think of most Western states as being generally more liberal than some like old establishment nor'easter kind of ideas but half of them were uh introduced and the homes of like uh um pro-slavery oh yeah slave-holding families and stuff and like california was what was like introduced into the union more to be like a power for the south you know originally yeah Shit like that. I'm I'm just looking into that, and then it's like, yeah, because it's very interesting because the echoes of that are so, so present still. Well, have you heard of this asshole? I mean, do you, do you know who Bill Crystal is? Billy Crystal? No, oh, not City me. Slickers. Bill Bill Crystal, uh, the like media commentator. Mm, I'm not sure. I might have to see a face. Uh, he's a dick. I mean, all these not... names start to sound the same. But he, uh, he's been talking on Twitter a lot. Uh, he keeps saying, like, I think we should make D.C. a state. And then Puerto Rico. And then, who knows, maybe a free Cuba next. <laughs> and it's, like, it's just so utterly insulting. Like, to, to the point of almost being, like, just, I mean, it, it's obviously wrong to say that mm-hmm. we should make a sovereign state. Mm-hmm. A, a sovereign nation, uh, the next American state, but it's just like I, it just seems so ugly and like very mask off to be like, well, once we get rid of the the Castro dictatorship in Cuba, let's just make them a state. Yeah, yeah. they love that. Still then, very much in like the mid twentieth century mentality of how geopolitics yeah. works. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Um, Virch, do we have any old business? What did we talk about last time? Um, so I was originally, so I had planned to uh, get the Showtime trial to watch the Good Lord Bird. That is oh, the yeah. uh, John Brown um, miniseries starring the John Brown of acting, <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Um, but I didn't get to it. <laughs> so my yeah. answer, my roundabout answer is not really. Not really. What What did you talk about again? Um, I don't remember. No, oh, NFTs, NFTs. Oh, NFTs. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about NFTs anymore. There was something that was brought up, maybe in the beginning of this even, as recently as that, um, where I thought, oh, if NFTs did this, this might help. But I don't remember what it was. So I haven't changed my opinion on NFTs. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you can tell it's getting a glowing review a week later. <laughs> I, no, it I, actually I, was a fun episode, but we hate fun. NFTs. Um, yeah, we love John NFTs. Brown and we hate NFTs. And if you didn't know that already, this is your first time listening. That really is. Welcome to this <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did I have notes? There is there is a philosopher that I want. It's not old news, yeah. but um, there is an African philosopher from the 1600s, Zara oh, Jacob, yeah. who um, who Zira Zara Jacob, um, who doesn't get nearly enough play in like Anglo spaces. Sure. And I haven't. I've barely looked into uh, him, but he was talking enlightenment stuff in ethiopia hmm. like hundreds of years before um enlightenment stuff so this this is just me putting a a little bookmark yeah on sarah Jacob. all right i love it hmm. his his um his submission into the uh human canon yeah yeah yeah. Um, we're gonna fire this guy up into the human canon pretty soon <laughs> um, blast him into your faces blast blast him yeah uh, that's good. That's a similar region to where my um, topic today is is coming oh, nice. from. So that's nice little thread line. Um, yeah. Verge, do you know what time it is? Oh, I don't, and I would love to know. Verge, it is time for good cooking. Good cooking. <laughs> clink clink clink. <laughs> Perfect. Very good. Very good. Does that sound foodie. Uh, so so. What we've we've done ethnic enclave of the week, we've done mm-hmm. for your information, mm-hmm. we've done surprise badass of the week. Yeah, and now is this the fourth entry into um our introduction informational enclave category? For yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. good. So good co- cooking will complete um complete the rotation at least for a little while. I think. Yeah. Um. Basically, I want to highlight uh, anything something food related as a topic that might be interesting or educational um or cool in any way um there's a lot of fun stuff on wikipedia out there about anything food related it's Mm. really the thing that i think i probably read about on wikipedia by far the most like i'll immediately find the cuisine of section for any time i'm reading a wikipedia article and nice uh, but it's a good practice yeah, this is the um, the article is the Forteza Medicia restaurant, mm. and um, the Forteza Medicia is an occasional restaurant in Volterra, Italy, um, which is a, a mountain walled mountaintop town in Tuscany. Mm-hmm. Um, it is housed in the town's Renaissance era fortress built mm. fourteen seventy four which is a high-security prison for criminals serving no less than seven years. Currently, or it was? Cur- currently. Oh. Yeah. So, so okay, a couple things to unpack here. First and this of all, is where the restaurant is. Yeah. The, the fortress is from 1474 and is, uh-huh. to this day, a high-security high prison, <laughs> which <laughs> I think is pretty rad. If I had to go to jail for over seven years, I think I'd want to go and spend it in a... Um, a Tuscan mountaintop fortress rather than, um, yeah, you know, central Missouri. Uh, but yeah. that's just me. Um, and then also there is a, a, um, 
sporadically or an occasional restaurant there. Um, yeah, was, uh, occasional was an interesting. So word okay, used. so in in two thousand six, the prison's administration began operating a restaurant uh, within the prison, using the inmates as staff as a rehabilitation scheme. Oh. The project was successful in attracting clients and the attention of the international press. Despite the inconveniences of dining in the Forteza, clients must pass a background check and several checkpoints, and all cutlery is plastic. Tables um, had to be, as of 2007, had to be booked weeks in advance. So I read mm. this article, and I was like, okay, as of 2007, when, what did this, this is done. There's no way this is still yeah. So I went to their website, and um, March, or no, May of last year, they did, their last announcement is that they did have to shut down for the year because of covid right but it was still operating as of summer of last year hey all right and it's very cool um so it's called the the galiote dinners um and the like subtitle on their website is no man is an island um nice and so i go you go to like the um section on project um so the initiative, the first example of its kind at national level, offers the approximately 30 inmates involved a professionalizing path in the restaurant sector to facilitate reintegration once the sentence is over or in the cases regulated by Article 22 on the subject of semi-liberty. And it was been picked up by a co-op um, in Tuscany Hmm. that runs like a thousand grocery stores in Italy that has, um, it's such a, I was reading about this co-op, Unicoop Firenze. um, Ah. And they are, like they are exactly what I would love to see more like businesses exist as. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in their their section it says they have one point, uh, zero eight million shareholders, and they have a or they have a hundred and five locations, eight thousand employees, and they're worth like one point six seven five billion. But it's entirely owned by the members who shop there. I mean, it's a, a true co op. Hell yeah! It's so fucking rad, and they are you know involved in this really interesting rehabilitation program. Um, on the Galiote Galiote dinners, there's a a little section called solidarity mm. um and it says among the aims pursued by the galiote dinners since their inception is to desire to build a bridge with the world outside of the prison working together prisoners prison staff and partners of the initiative to provide concrete help to the less lucky it is in particular thanks to this foundation that this is possible each evening um is associated with a solidarity project identified mm. among those promoted and the economically supported by the foundation to which the entire amount paid by the public for dinner is donated. Um, so it's just like, it's just like straight good news, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just something cool. I think I there was more stuff like this. There's like the, you know, the idea of like, what's, what's worse or better for like the soul of soul of someone who has committed a crime, like exile from the, you know, exile used to be like the worst, right? Right. Um, but then like the idea of imprisoning within the st- structures to be like made an example of so to speak blah 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 with no rehabilitation i would argue is worse in a world where exile means you can go like somewhere else that might be chill but i like this because this keeps the people within the community 
And during their rehabilitation, they are, it's not like they're sequestered off, you know, away from the public eye. It's like they're still a part of the community being rehabilitated from within, which I think is like, at least the mentality behind it, I think is like better. Yeah. I mean, if we, I feel like if we, if we looked at our prisons from a sense of like compassion, Mm -hmm. um, we would find ourselves wanting very different methods Mm -hmm. to deal with those. Like, I think it's still pretty striking, you know, that old Eugene Debs quote, um, where he's like, um, you know, as long as a, a soul has no food, I am hungry. As long as a soul, um, Mm -hmm. has no home, I'm also homeless. As long as there is a, a single person in prison, I am not free. Mm-hmm. And like that was in the 1920s or like maybe 1910s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that statement feels very strange now to mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. because we can't quite fa- we like we have we have such a boner for justice right. rightfully, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about how everybody celebrated that Derek Chauvin yeah. went to prison. And obviously accountability in a like you can see societies that have no accountability and people behave with impunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just need to go to Mexico and learn how many people have been murdered or, you know, plenty of other places around the world. But I can't help but feel our obsession with punishment Mm -hmm. is a, is a complete net negative on our society as a whole. You know, and I think that that, same mentality as what we've been talking about earlier it's just like you know if if i'm on the side that's saying rah rah justice then i'm safe right you know right as long as i am the just side then my enemies uh any 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 fate can befall them i'm Mm -hmm. not a racist and Mm -hmm. my enemies are and so their punishment can't be strong enough yeah because it will never happen to me you let know, the, like what is it? The first of whatever the without sin cast the first stone. First stone. And yeah, like exactly. people, but the problem with our society is that that is like encouraging people to cast stones to show that we are without sin, right? Yeah. As opposed to like internally being like, yeah, maybe there is space for. We now, having yeah, said I mean, that, Derek Chauvin's a bad example because it's like that motherfucker. If anyone deserved. But he's he's a bad example, but he's a good example, exactly. right? In yeah. the sense that, like, like if we could figure out a way to find forgiveness for him, mm-hmm. then we can find forgiveness for anyone. Yeah. And and we, I think, there is a pretty fundamental problem, a through line of American culture, is that we're incapable of mm-hmm. forgiving anyone for anything, mm-hmm. especially in this moment right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. We don't have, it's, there's no kind, there are different perceptions, there are different people with persecution complexes. That's kind of part of the reason that like cancel culture is kind of silly. It's because it's Mm -hmm. like, you can't post stupid things on the internet anymore. Like really, that's your, that's your punishment. But, but it is definitely emblematic of the same through line that we're talking about, which is like, when do we bring these people back in? Because right. instead of bringing them back in, you're pushing them away so that they can form their own society. I it mean, is, this I guess, is a, a form of exile. Yeah. Yeah. This is a. This is like the. I mean, it happens with crime too, right? Like, mm-hmm. we we send people to prison. 
we tell them that they're monsters. They say, okay, we are. And then they meet other people who have been told the same thing. And then they come out and like the, you know, the criminal organizations, the gangs, there are communities that are just overwrought with these, all of these people who have been programmed into thinking that they are that way. Mm-hmm. And it's like every human is eminently capable of the same things, you know? It's yeah. it's just the 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 responses to stimuli. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boom. Boom. And um, before we before we move on, do, do we have any uh, sense of like the menu of this restaurant? Yeah. Good question. Good question. I was trying to find that, and I didn't. I, I didn't really find much about it, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um. It, I want to know what the inner workings of this, uh, the actual restaurant aspect is. I'd be very curious. They have a they have a whole section about um, about their wine cellar. They have mm. a very nice wine cellar, and it looks like it looks like that every single dinner. They only do a couple dinners a year, and every single one has like a different high level chef, um, like a completely cool. new. It looks like kind of like a. Um, like a like a tasting menu you know you got like eight chefs at a time that'll all come in cool yeah i wish i had more more stuff about the food i'll i'll I'll, maybe i'll follow up with some some food yeah that'd be fun i mean the uh what we talked about is the more interesting and important part obviously but i mean but the food but i want to know what the food is like yeah Um, i'll try and find a menu of it and we'll uh cool We'll, that was we'll great. Fortezza yeah. Medici. Ristorante Fortezza. Yeah, that, that sounded good. Thank that sounded you. better than when I said it. Thank you. Very interesting. All right, Verge. What, right. what are we talking about? You're okay. excited about this one, right? I'm, I, like, listener, every, every 27 episodes, a topic comes <laughs> up that really just encompasses the entirety of what we're talking about. Yes. This is what I would call the showstopper. I... And and the nice thing is we've as as we somehow do every episode, there's been tricklings of what we're about to talk about. Yeah. So after um multiple episodes where we've been gluttons for punishment, uh and grinding our own gears, I would like to present the wonderful, wonderful world of Chuck Tingle. Chuck Tingle. <laughs> Chuck Tingle. No. Chuck Tingle is um uh he, gay uh, 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 a ni- gay niche erotic short story author. Okay. And two-time <laughs> Hugo Award nom- finalist. Wow. Who uh writes short stories that he sells on Amazon called Tinglers. <laughs> and um so let me first read the the first little bit, and then I'm going to read some. This is great. I'm going to read the titles, and then we'll get into it. All right. Chuck Tingle is a pseudonymous author primarily of gay niche erotic short stories. Mm-hmm. The stories mainly take the form of monster erotica, featuring mm. romantic and sexual encounters with dinosaurs, imaginary creatures, anthropomorphized inanimate objects, and even abstract concepts. Wow. The tip of the iceberg. He <laughs> self-publishes his works through Amazon.com, primarily as ebooks, but also as paperbacks and audiobooks. 
In 2016, his short story, Space Raptor Butt Invasion, was a finalist for Hugo Awards, the result of a coordinated campaign which he disavowed. Oh my gosh. Um, The following year, he was a finalist for the Hugo for Best Fan Writer. All right. So at this point, we just need to go do the the fun part, which is I'm just going to go through and read some of the titles of his. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, Pounded in the butt by my bizarre assumption that Chuck Tingle books are just covers and not actual books. Oh, that's that's even too deep. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, my handsome sentient face mask, my handsome sentient face mask protects me despite the ridiculous conspiracy theories that he won't. <laughs> also, also he pounds my butt. <laughs> um, gay T-Rex law firm executive boner s- slammed by the substantial amount of press generated by my book pounded by the pound. Turned gay by the socioeconomic implications of Britain leaving the European Union. Wow. (laughs) These are all real, real short stories you can buy on Amazon. Pounded in the butt by the fact that it took less time for this book to be written and published than the entire length of Tony Scary Moochie's term as the White House communications director. Oh, my God. It's so, so many. Um, Bigfoot pirates haunt my balls. Slammed in the butt by the handsome, sentient manifestation of Election Day. He has it's, a se- he it's... has a series. Oh, sorry, one more, one more. Yeah, yeah. He's a series. Um, this is a trilogy. So the first one is pounded in the butt by my own butt, and then the second one is pounded in the butt by my book, pounded in the butt by my own butt, <laughs> and then the trilogy ender, of course, is pounded in the butt by my book, pounded in the butt by my book, pounded in the butt by my book, pounded in the butt by my own butt. So, all right, initial thoughts. I I don't know if I've ever heard of an author playing with like meta parody right that way like i mm-hmm. i i mean at least well yeah any author like that is it's it's the it's the meta to end all metas mm-hmm. it is and and i was happy enough with just that right you know not pounded at the last second because consent can be given and revoked at any moment and this is a wonderful thing that's important to understand <laughs> so then you start to get these like little like hints of like okay this dude's like a radical yeah you know whatever word you want to use like good <laughs> radical good um chaotic good i suppose yeah um but then this whole like two-time hugo award finalist keeps coming he keeps like yeah. putting that on there and i was like what the fuck happened so there's right. a vox so there's a vox article oh wow um of course uh so the title of this article this was written in 2016, is satirical erotica author Chuck Tingle's massive troll of conservative sci-fi fans explained. So there's a whole saga where he started writing these tinglers and like conservative. So uh, it's like the puppies. There's like a conservative movement online that got like really mad about this. Uh, And they also were mad about the Hugo or something about sci-fi, you know, like something yeah. about how like sci-fi something is dumb. gay or something and they don't like yeah. that or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. 
Um, so they sci-fi nominated... is has always been gay, by the way, yeah. to sci-fi fans. Totally. Not um, a... <laughs> yeah. It's, that's what I love is, like, if you're a, like, totally heteronormative person who, like, really loves sci-fi, think about some shit. Because um, yeah. you might be internally more uh, woke than you actually ever would want to admit. Um, so, so then these people online, these conservatives online, uh, nominated him for the Hugo Awards to uh, simultaneously delegitimize the awards and like to try and like you know i don't know embarrass him embarrass him or whatever yeah but like you can't like this is where it's like this is that um fucking gutfeld show where it's like you guys you guys just don't have the the edge to do this correctly no yeah um so what chuck tingle ended up doing was turning it on its head and uh really like leaned into this um so well one of the, <laughs> um and created a website that started um uh amplifying the voices of women uh sci-fi writers and uh started like donating money and all this stuff and so there's space raptor butt invasion was the one that was uh, nominated and then the second one was space raptor butt redemption um and it, there's like this crazy culture war that's happening and like these tinglers are like the center of this and he might actually be doing the most like on his own John Brown style to like spread good and his whole thing is that love is real for anyone who, who for those who kiss is like his thing Funny. um so in a in a in an interview uh Tingle, Tingle was deliberate in stating that combating homophobia is the main reason he does what is, he does. And this is a quote. More important, and this is like exactly how he said, more important reason to write Tinglers is to prove that love is real for all who kiss. Saw a man on TV talking about buds kissing buds, and he said, oh, what's going to happen if we let buds kiss buds? What's next? Are they going to kiss planes too? So I thought, yes, all love is real. We should kiss planes because they are handsome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's um, oppressed in the butt by my inclusive holiday coffee cups, pounded in the butt by my irrational, bigoted fear of humans who were born as unicorns using a human restroom. Basically, what he's doing is breaking down the constructs. Just the absurdity of it all. Like yeah. Throwing it all up. Um, so now I'm going to read personal life part of his uh, okay because this is very interesting this is where his story takes another turn little has been confirmed about tingle's identity beyond the fact that the name chuck tingle is a pseudonym he claims to have been born in home of truth utah a small isolated southern utah ghost town established in 1933 as a religious commune and abandoned in 1977 he has described himself as bisexual Tingle presents himself as a Taekwondo grandmaster from Billings, Montana, who acquired a Ph.D. in holistic massage at DeVry University, mm -hmm. which does not offer such a degree. Uh, a photo presented as a portrait of Tingle was found on a stock photo website. In 2016, a person presenting as Tingle's son, John, stated in a Reddit AMA session that Tingle is an autistic savant. 
John hmm. also said that his father suffers from schizophrenia, but Tingle has stated that this is not true on multiple occasions. Wow. John stated that he edits his father's work for publication and provides day-to-day -day care for him. Tingle's Facebook account and website confirm that John is his son and that Tingle has Asperger's syndrome. Hmm. Tingle has said that his wife drowned in an automobile accident, but John stated that Tingle is divorced from his mother and the woman who died was Tingle's caregiver. Tingle, so weird. So yeah, and so now there's another article called "The Secret Behind Internet Erotica Icon Chuck Tingle: His Own Life May Be the Best Story He's Ever Written." Whoa! People interview this guy and come out of it going, "I." genuinely genuinely don't have a better idea of what he actually is is it He's, all satire yeah is it is he actually like autistic in a way that like he does he does understand the humor of what he's presenting right but the like what exactly is the genuine note underneath and right. like interviewers literary interviewers people like that like have no idea and so he completely presents himself consistently every time and the way he talks he has this like rambling kind of Timothy Dexter vibe. Um, and he never, and, and none of what he says is ever winky wink, jokey joke. Everything he says is completely genuine all the time. He's a prophet. So he's, he's a prophet. A, he's, he's a prophet. He's like, yeah, he's right, literally, right, I believe it. Um, so that, those are like the, the twists and turns. Um, yeah. And, and in the meantime, he keeps making money because people are people are uh, people buy his books. Yeah. Seduced by the handsome, physically manifested sound that some people hear as Yanni and others hear as Laurel. <laughs> the fear that... of, of the unknown. So this is like this is one of those things where it's like this guy. Who is this guy? Yeah. Who is this guy? Because you can't just write him off as a guy who like figured out that this is funny and people like it and like SEO. Well, he's so prolific funny. too. I mean, how yeah. many books has he written? It sounds like hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah, he he writes in like, you know, he's written like thirty books this year alone or some shit. You know, he like puts out like two a month at least. Um, wow. Yeah, it's so interesting, and 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 it makes and it makes the humor of his titles like. You know, at some point you stop laughing and you start being like, oh, man, is this kind of the only way right now to, like, not be wrong? Like, this is currently, this is currently, in my opinion, like, the tip top, the only satire that's done correctly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it, it, it is, um, has required him to completely give up his sense of yeah. self. I mean, his, mm -hmm. like, identity is completely, he's... He's he's lost himself in the satire. That's part mm -hmm. of it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's like that's like innately a part of the the work, the body mm -hmm. of work is that the satire has consumed his entire life, right? And and this is one of those like little blips where like he's so right, <laughs> yeah, that he can just keep doing exactly this because this is this is pushing the needle, so to speak, in like the right direction, right? You know. Angry man pounded by the fear of his latent gayness over a dinosaur transitioning into a unicorn. Jesus. Um, incredible. Uh, 
Yes, he's in the NFT uh, satire space. Not pounded by my book, pounded in the butt by my non-fungible tingler. That is literally this NFT because of the current catastrophic environmental and ethical impact. Wow. But th- that's that's what's amazing is if it was just some normal person who's just like, oh, yeah, I'm like a graphic designer who thought this was kind of funny and like, I get it, whatever. But this person lives yeah. this. Right. He lives yeah. this. It's, he has... it's, it's deeper. It's deeper than the book titles. Like, yeah. quite literally, it's deeper than the book titles. It's full books, but like that's like a pretty good metaphor for right. him and his ouvoir. He's writing these novels. He's not just like making up fake book titles that are kind of weird and funny. Yeah. Um and and the whole Hugo thing. So like for many years the science fiction and fantasy community has been dealing with growing tension between progressive writers who advocate for a broader range of representative experiences and a more conservative crowd who opposes them. These are like the release the Snyder cut type sci-fi boys, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. And their boys. Um, clearly. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm just trying to like find kind of like the nuggets here. But uh, Tingle has been using his Hugo nomination to repudiate the people who nominated him, and it's been brilliant. Um, this is this is in uh, this is an excerpt from Slammed in the Butt by my Hugo Award nomination. It was wait. I tell the prestigious nomination, let me be the one who takes care of you tonight. I want to show my thanks for this incredible, handsome award. I look up at him and suddenly find myself overwhelmed by love and attraction to this awesome nomination. Sure, he's penetrating deep within my throat, but he's also penetrating my heart. (laughs) (laughs) And then within it, he's like, there's a lot of bucks out there, calls guys bucks. Who think the soul of books is just inside books don't know that real love comes from proving book are real for all who kiss that's inside and outside of books goofball wow it's like dude it's like yeah he's saying all the same shit that all these other all these other like prophetic people are saying and it's it's just I'm, I'm into it yeah i love this there is absolutely a place Inside the Friendship Simulator for um, gay erotic satire. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I want, I want more, all of it. I want all of it. He has. Um. So, yeah. Ah, sorry, I'm like getting. There's like so much. Um. But people, people genuinely still seem to not know whether whether he is exactly what he states himself yeah. to be or if that itself is a story yeah tingle's first work was my billionaire triceratops craves gay ass in 2014 <laughs> i don't know i don't know where to where to go except like listener reader like yeah dive into this with the entry point being how funny the book titles are and just keep scrolling through because when you create a larger context, contextual picture of what all of these titles are, this is what we're moving towards. This is yeah. in, a, in, in, a, in an unironically serious way. Like, this is what we want to be moving toward, I think. <laughs> yeah. And this is 
I I hope that we we create a world where people can see what this is actually about underneath. Right. Just yeah. Well, yeah, I mean I feel like to a certain extent it's like the um like that like kill kill your idols notion, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where it's like you don't you you don't need to be hamstrung by the things that you feel that mm-hmm. you're um that are like the rules and regulations that make up your life, you know? Yeah. I think that's what I like most is how, how just directly this breaks down the structures in our head about what reality and like what the structures of life are by just relentlessly making it about getting fucked in the ass by these, yeah. by these things. Naturally. It's, um, it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, to me, it's the same thing as fucking, not to bring back Bonnie Vare, but like when Bonnie Vare like does his like breaking down language kind of videos and shit, it's like this is exactly what it is, right? Um, and I think we, uh, I would love to teach a, a a class on this or like take a class or like try and build a curriculum around Chuck Tingle. Yeah, well, and also it's, I mean, do you? I find a certain amount of um, like personal anxiety. Mm. about um like i don't know quote unquote like being untouched you know being like untouched by like whatever and 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 trying to understand whether the the spirit of of the art of some of this stuff mm. whether it is like from someone who is touched mm-hmm. inspired or it is cultivated mm-hmm. whether we're all capable of it you know it if that makes any sense, whether it's like, no, is I this, feel you. Is this a is this a secret language that is basically been like bestowed down to mm-hmm. someone, or is it, or is it the just the act of like a wellspring of inside of you, like like creativity inside the soul? And this I love is... that we're talking about this in relation to the guy that wrote um, my space raptor butt invasion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice guy dinosaur doesn't pound me in the butt because I'm not interested and he's not actually nice. He's just annoying and creepy and doesn't respect my boundaries when I tell him we're not on a date. That. Fucking love this so much. But I you're absolutely say, right. Yeah. This is this is to me the only reason superhero uh, stories are even interesting um in my mind because I think the superhero question is is this is this is do we, are we all capable of it or is it only to certain people who have been touched right and i think there are different opinions on it i think we are moving toward a more egalitarian understanding i think it's possible i think everyone has the capability and i think that's what that's what the direction of evolution should be going so to speak right um which is why i push which is why i push um psychedelics so much because mm-hmm. i think psychedelics is a doorway for everyone to be able to get there um, or at least like some version of that. Yeah, to unlock. Um, yeah, and it goes back to this idea that like, you know, it used to be that you'd get these like anomalous upright, like spring of like one person in a community who's like there, right? Jesus, Buddha, right? One person, right, right. But we are moving toward a more like pushing everyone up, right, closer to that. And I think that's where you get like 
um, Eckhart Tolle and and then people like that, you know, Sun yeah, Moon, those guys. Um, and I think the big difference of whether you can trust someone or not is what like what what the paywall is to access that information. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, so even even the idea that he's selling these on Amazon, like it, it's completely take changing the marketplace of like books and knowledge, right? Because right. no no one's gonna ever publish. No one would ever. No publisher would ever pick these up. Right. No. And and yet, the title alone is so much more insightful than so many of the books you can pick up at at the airport. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So I think this this democratization of what is considered a novel. Uh this is a good example of this being pushed in the right direction. Um, so I firmly place Chuck Tingle in uh, the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Myself. Um, I'm game. I, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and I would implore people to kind of like look in to... Uh... In, the, um, in the source section of, of his Wikipedia, this mm-hmm. is, I think, my favorite... Um, uh my favorite web article about him Uh Uh i'm just reading the article it just says chuck tingle celebrates hugo loss with new pounded in the butt ebook and like that is a sentence that needed to be said on this podcast i just firmly believe it yeah we we are we are doing god's work (laughs) (laughs) um you know and I think the people I would like to continue hanging out with are the people who can laugh at that sentence and uh, understand the reality of what we're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Unquestionably. Yeah. Hell yeah. Chuck Tingle, Hall Chuck of Famer. Chuck Tingle, Hall of Famer. I, I would like to end it with just a couple more readings because, let's be honest, that's the best part. That's right? what we're here for, yeah. Um, bisec- oh, here, here's a great one. We are loving bisexuals. And they are living bicycles. Um, California, oh, the state of California, that's it. The state of California stocks my gay butthole. Uh, lonely author pounded by dinosaur social media followers. Um, pounded in the butt by the handsome physical manifestation of Trump's, Trump's Twitter ban. That should have come sooner, but fine now that it's here. High five. <laughs> Pokey butt go, go pounded by them all. And last one, bisexually sa- sandwiched by my sentient peanut butter husband and our new living jelly girlfriend. And the and the Photoshop work is like, Nicholas, this is like. Yeah, it's right up my alley, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like yeah. your lineage of Photoshop work. Yeah. Incredible. We got to get this guy on the podcast. I would love nothing more. And the way he talks. The way he talks is very interesting because it throws you off. The cadence and all of that. It's like it's what I imagine literally how like Timothy Dexter probably talked. Interesting. Where it's that it's that kind of like rambly there's a network of thoughts in his head that he's just accessing and it all makes sense, but like we don't have the context for how it connects. Which like very much um uh, supports the claim of his autism. Um, yeah. Being like, yeah. <sighs> I love it. I love it. This is this is what keeps me going. This is the shit that keeps me fucking the spice Hell of yeah. life. I love it. But Chuck Tingle and his tinglers, welcome to the Hall of Fame. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. Nice. 
Hell yeah. All right. Good stuff. And that's gonna, there's going to be a lot of old business next week about this, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Are we moving on? Are we doing wiki hole yeah, number yeah. two? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could all keep right. reading titles till the till the cows come home. But. Well, my topic is um, very similar. Um, I wanted to talk about the maritime history of Somalia. Oh wow! Exactly. So okay, I wanted to. I found myself thinking about the failed state of Somalia. Um, and thinking about what I knew about Somalia, which I mm-hmm. think is probably more than the average person knows about Somalia, but still yeah. not very much. Um, and I found it tremendously sad thinking about like, all right, well, what, what do we know about Somalia? Mm-hmm. I would say the thing that most Americans would say they know about Somalia is pirates, right? Pirates. Or maybe, maybe number one is that it's a place that they will never, ever go. Yes, I think that probably more than anything is. I like, think it's like it's like people, whether they know it or not, it's in their heads. Somalia is the current Tortuga. Like, yeah, like well, right. and just like the place that is, yeah, that is a failed state that is completely zero yeah. reason why anyone would ever go. And um, they and and they almost killed our boy Josh Harnett. Yeah, well, yeah Black Hawk Down, right? First, is like a yeah, pretty... first and largest under like uh, what's the word? Um, association. Of Somalia, I think for most Americans, especially in our generation, it's got to be Black Hawk Down. It's got to be Black Hawk Down. Yeah. And and that actually was like a pretty terrible moment in American mm-hmm. history. And like, mm-hmm. um, well, I, I would say one of the things um, that I found myself, like the through line is that Somalia is not, there's no, there's nothing special about mm. why Somalia is in ruins, you know, like mm-hmm. there's nothing that there's no like particular. I don't think that there's a quality of Somalian of Somali right. people that that predicates that they should live in a like a completely broken, failed society. I always and thought that's it was a scary purely thing. geographic. Yeah, yeah, that's I, how well, I considered it. So, so there's a couple of things. Um, the first is that Somalia has this like really um, beautiful and important history, um, and that's why I found myself on the the, the Wikipedia article for the maritime history of Somalia um, because ancient Somalia was kind of a. Have you ever heard the term thassalocracy? Hmm. No. A, a thassalocracy is a um a like state or a culture or an empire that primarily has like maritime holdings or realms oh i see so like phoenicia ancient right, phoenicia right, right. was like a thassalocracy like yeah 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 Sorry. they they didn't like they didn't control anything inland they just had a bunch of cities on the ocean and they like controlled it because they were really good sailors mm-hmm. right so that's kind of what some Somalia was, and it was these like. Ancient... Would Vikings be considered a? Yeah, I think so. Uh, also, like ancient Indonesia would have, mm-hmm. um, or Venice. Venice is a great example, right? Okay. Um, but Somalia is interesting in that it, it sits like 
its location is so central to the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even in the first century AD, Somalia was Somali merchants were trading with India and Rome and Arabia. Mm -hmm. And by the middle ages, Somali merchants were getting all the way to China, which is crazy. I love and they had they had a very specific type of boat called a um I'm gonna mispronounce it but it's a a beden b e d e n okay. or a a baden 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 yeah is it like uh, a German word for <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah. um but it's got this really cool like kind of slanted sail that is actually sewn onto the boat um oh, sick. and it's yeah it's got a very cool look um. But they, they, these ships that they had from ancient times, you could still probably see in certain parts of Somalia, like by used by fishermen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were one of the most sophisticated maritime vessels in the world. And it was just a completely not like... And another cool thing is that in the ancient time, the people of the Arabian Peninsula and Somalia successfully made it so Indian merchants couldn't trade directly with Rome. (laughs) And so they just became middlemen. And so like the Romans thought that they got cinnamon from Somalia, but in fact (laughs) the Somali merchants were trading the Indians for cinnamon and claiming that it was, that was from them. It was like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is ours. (laughs) Just upselling them for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's just, oh, the other really cool thing is that there are pi- old pictures, um, you know, like drawings of m- Middle Ages China court with mm-hmm. giraffes in the drawing. And mm-hmm. it's because the Somali merchants were like transporting exotic African animals to China and selling them. There's so, like, I think of Kirin beer. Kirin, oh, yeah. you know, is the Japanese word for giraffe. And whether the original Kirin was what we consider giraffe or not is like, I, I don't know. But, yeah. But, you know, there's some shit where, like, I think about that, where I'm like, how, how did Japanese people know about giraffes? Right. You know, like hundreds of years ago. Well, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is that it puts in perspective, like, again and again, like, American culture and how yeah. new this all is. And how people have been people have been exchanging ideas and doing their thing for forever, you know, mm-hmm. like for so long. I just um, saw a comment yesterday that was like, Europe, Europe was responsible for most of the technological advances and the civilization and like blah, blah, blah of like modern peoples. And it's like, yo, like you are missing, yeah. missing large swaths of history. Yeah, no, it's it's just wrong it's just yeah. plain wrong and it's yeah. it's yeah it's completely ahistorical and like like obviously racist but kind of like defiantly so right mm-hmm. you know like proudly mm-hmm. so yeah. um i but i have a hard time and and i think that i wanted to start here in the sense of like understanding somalia the failed state of today mm-hmm. and like understanding like a place that, where people have like lived freely and richly and you know have 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 had stories and families and all this stuff forever and uh i'm struck i i i constantly think do you, have you ever read about like 
Rome's pillaging of Carthage mm. and how the yes. general the general of the Roman army or the Roman legion as mm. they were destroying Carthage um, started crying, right? Yeah. It's this guy, um, uh, Scipio, uh, Scipio em- Emilianus, um, and he said, and someone uh, who was like writing the history wrote this about him and said, Scipio, when he looked upon the city as it was utterly perishing and in the last throes of its complete destruction, is mm-hmm. said to have shed tears and wept openly for his enemies. After being wrapped in thought for long and realizing that all cities, nations, and authorities must, like men, meet their doom, that it, this has happened to Ilium, once a prosperous city, to the empires of Assyria, Media, and Persia, the greatest of their time, and to Macedonia itself, the brilliance of which was so recent, either deliberately or the verses escaping him, he said, a day will come when sacred Troy shall perish, and Priam and his people shall be slain. Yeah. And, yeah. and then he's like, they're like, and then they push him on it, and he's like, Rome will also fall. You know, there, there's that. That's that's a fucking dude who's just like realizing Buddhist concepts in the moment, right? Yeah, which yeah. I love. It's it's makes me so sad though. I think about Carthage more like weirdly mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's a it's a a, a thematic thing that comes up in my head quite I th- a bit. No, I think there is a symbol symbolism to the arc of Carthage that is like still very much, you know, when you look thematically relevant. Right, constantly relevant in the human canon, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's Carthage is the story is that the B story of America that we talked about last week when mm-hmm. we were talking about John Brown, like this mm-hmm. through line of people who are, um, you know, virtuous and yeah. glorious and beautiful and and do all these things and they're the losers. Mm-hmm. The, the John Brown, the Fred Hamptons, yeah. the Eugene Debs, you know, and. That's Carthage. I mean, those, those people are Carthage to mm-hmm. Ameri- to um, the Rome that is yeah. Ulysses S. Grant and, and John I'm F. Kennedy. Sure, and, I'm sure so many. And, and the thing is, like so many of those those Roman generals who were who were on the cusp of being maybe understanding these things because of their experiences would go to Carthage and like realize these things. That's where they would like have their moments of clarity of like, oh impermanence is the only constant (laughs) yeah you know um so it's with that in mind that i think about somalia right Mm -hmm. and i found myself inevitably on the topic of somali pirates um because it's it's a big part of somalia today i mean that's Mm -hmm. and and part of it uh i found a not so great um wall street journal article um, from like 2009 okay. that was talking about like 10, 10 things you didn't know about Somali pirates and it's like super uh, fucking stupid. But yeah. um, it does explain, you know, like the first thing is that it says uh, they have a Robin Hood complex. This mm-hmm. is like the most Wall Street Journal framing. It's like, damn them for, you know, stealing from the rich. Yeah. Um, but it does say that part of, you know, the reason that pirates came to be in... Um, Somalia is because there was no state and so it was all these warlords and there was just like outright corruption so fishermen just started seeing other countries just like illegally fishing in Somali waters Mm -hmm. and were pissed off and so they just started (laughs) robbing them um which is kind of dope but it's (laughs) as all you know like 
potentially virtuous activities right. involving um like stealing power from another person it like corrupts mm-hmm. uh and i i read this great article that i actually would very much recommend to to everyone it's a long read um it's on the guardian um ah, nice i like a i like a nice guardian spread yeah it's it's a um it's called my 977 days held hostage by somali pirates Whoa. yeah and it's this guy who's a journalist michael scott moore uh, he's a German-American jur- like war journalist who had gone to Somalia specifically to interview pirates, um, and had like been in a pretty shitty city and had protection, had hired protection, and his protection turned on him, and they like basically ratted him out, and he was held hostage, and these pirates were asking a twenty million dollar ransom, jeez, oh, for him, and. The American yeah. government, I didn't know this, but apparently is like pretty well known that they do not negotiate. Negotiate, yeah. Yeah, so is. the American government won't shell out money to like take a civilian. Um, mm-hmm. The UK government is the same, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he just, they wouldn't lower the price. And so he was just stuck in captivity with these Something Somali like three pirates. Years? For, yeah, two and a half years. Um, uh, but I wanted to read, so... High media wreck. My 977 days held hostage by Somali Park. And I try. He. This guy has a a, um, a Wikipedia article. He says he's a journalist and a novelist. He wrote a novel about surfing. He actually kind of reminds me of that guy William Finnegan who wrote Barbarian Days. Mm. Um, and now he he's the, on the board of directors of Hostage US nonprofit oh. that supports American hostages and their families. Mm. Um, so I couldn't really. You know, I'm, you're always cautious with people who write op-eds about yeah. stuff like this, where you're like, oh, are you actually a fascist? Like, did yeah, you actually yeah, like, exactly. probably deserve this? But I don't think he did. I mean, obviously, no one deserves anything. Dude, that's that, the tough still. thing with American and, like, Western hostages all the time, where it's like, how much was this? How much of this was you fucking around? And then you found out. Right, exactly. You know? um, so here, no, I'm going to read a, a couple passages. Okay. All right, so the first one. Is this, he says, there was no clear exp- explanation for this treatment, which started in the spring of 2013, but the long 18-month period when my feet had to be chained at night remains mm. as a sodden low point, when something mm. crucial shifted in my spirit. I had flown to Somalia with curiosity and compassion. I had wanted to show, as far as I could, how Somalis lived and what pirates thought. With the chains on, I struggled every night with hatred and debilitating rage. The men treated me like a herd animal. Around me, they smoked, giggled, and bowed to Mecca the way a nomad in the desert might pass the days and nights around a camel. Um, And then he said, What helped was a paradoxical attitude of forgiveness towards the guards. In different Mm. circumstances, Bashko and I would have got on well. Uh, Most of the guards, I had to remember, were just hired hands who deserved punishment far less than the bosses who had plotted my kidnapping. I also remembered a fierce American essayist called Richard Mitchell, who for some reason was on my mind almost every day. In one of his books, Mitchell revives the ancient idea from Epictetus, sorry, uh, Mm. that a victim suffers only by his own consent. Mm. Self-pity does nothing but heighten the pain. Mm. Uh, To be sick or to suffer is inevitable, writes Mitchell. 
but to become bitter and vindictive in sickness and suffering and to surrender to in irrationality, yeah. supposing yourself the innocent and virtuous victim of the evil intentions of the world is mm-hmm. not inevitable. Mm-hmm. The appropriate answer to the question, why me, is the other question, why not me? Mm. Which is really interesting, especially yeah. in association with this mm-hmm. in Somalia, because it's like, the question is not why Somalia it's why not us like Mm -hmm. why were these people born into this place that can't that is has been stuck in a 30 40 years long civil war that has no you know like protection no people you know why it's the Hegelian it's the Hegelian questioning yeah yeah so that's yeah that's that's where i got with somali and i think i mean there's i think there's there's more to talk about here but i i'm left with a lot of thoughts on it right yeah i think somali is a really good example of um needing to know the context of of the entire history of that area and and you know will we be able to get it from american sources western sources probably not yeah you know um there is i have a media rec the first, yeah. the first thing and, and major thing that made me under, not understand Somalia, but see Somalia in a light that wasn't Ridley Scott's <laughs> right. Black Hawk Down, you know, where Josh Arnett and a bunch of British actors playing American soldiers, right? you know, try to survive a horde of locals, whatever, um, was uh, Kanon, the rapper who did yeah, Wave yeah. and Flag. Yeah, he's, he's from Somalia, huh? He's Somali and... You know, I, I what I really didn't like about Kanon's popularity during Wave and Flag was how he was just written off as the guy who did a song that wouldn't have been popular if it wasn't oh, the, the, World Cup. the World Cup song. Yeah. He, all, so much of his lyricism talks about the history of Somalia. Hmm. And they were, you know, it was a land of kings and queens. It was a land of, like, right. regality. That was, that was, like, raped because of its geographic right convenience you know so if uh if you can find it i don't think it's on spotify i i've i've this came out maybe like oh nine actually 2008 2009 it was available to download on like Bandcamp or something canon and this producer j period they do a like three album long mixtape one of the albums is canon over samples of Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is Bob Dylan. And the third one is Fela Kuti. Huh, cool. And it's called The Messengers. Um, and it's all about this. It's all about, like, the, the canon, right? Right. Um, and it's about how how you can... The music of Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, and Fela Kuti all inform, you know, the art and beauty that still exists in Somalia or, like that comes out of the strife of Somalia. So that's my media rec. I like that. Somalia. Yeah. I'll listen it's, to that. Cause I liked so him. good. I liked yeah. Kanon. You know, when, when that, I remember his album when waving flag came out was good. Like it was an yeah. actually good album. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're right. He got kind of pigeonholed as like, yeah, I don't know something that he wasn't. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I guess there is one anecdote, historical anecdote um, that I like kind of touched on. I don't, Forgive me if I don't have like all of the context, listeners. But there's was something in the '80s called the Ogaden War, O G A D E N. Mm. Um, there was a war between Ethiopia and Somalia, mm. 
and it was um, pre-Somali civil war. It's when there was a dictator in charge who um, was, they attacked Ethiopia to mm. try and um, take by force a piece of northern Ethiopia where a, a majority or a plurality of people are right. Somali. Um, and at the time, Somalia was supported by the USSR and Ethiopia was supported by the US. Mm. And this is the part that's complicated and I, I might not have exact details, but... What's hard to with these proxy yeah. fucking... What shook out was that the USSR disapproved of a an invasion and so yeah. they switched their support to support ethiopia oh. and because of that cuba also supported ethiopia and actually sent like thirty thousand troops to defend ethiopia and are like was really i mean in many wars in africa in that time in the 70s and 80s like the cuban military intervention was like the thing that won it angola right. is the same you know um and then the u.s like tacitly supported Somalia. Um, and of course, Somalia, like three quarters of Somalia's invading force was either captured or killed. It was a complete right. disaster for Somalia. And people often claim that it was one of the, one of the original like sparks that led to the Somali civil war right. and the complete and utter destruction of that country. Yeah, And I just find it pretty bleak and, I would like to know more, but to know that the U.S. like tacitly supported them and then didn't, and then let this—that's that classic now, shit, man. That's like, that shit where it's like so the, cynical. The twentieth-century history of so many other countries says so much more about the U.S. and yeah, than it does about their own country. And it's, it's well, so and it, I think the cynicism is the thing that gets to me because right. because whether you support their actions are not like mm -hmm. the USSR and Cuba like believed in something and Cuba mm -hmm. still does. It's like, yeah. there's like a belief in this idea of revolution, whether you want the revolution to come or not, whether you think it's a little too heavy, you have mm -hmm. to admit that they are absolutists. They're John Brown's like they, they believe in something. Yeah. And the, the, the realism, the opportunism of the United States is something that is like inescapably wrong. Yeah. You know, it's just, yep. it's really evil and, and, it, and it's led us to do some things that maybe in retrospect, we herald like, you know, like right. freeing Jews from Nazi concentration camps, mm -hmm. but it's also led us to Augusto Pinochet, you know, yeah. it led us to Operation Condor and the fucking genocide in Indonesia and like a lot of stuff that is just awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's, I, the note I will leave is that, um, Somalia was a once great and proud place, mm -hmm. and it will be again. You it know, will be and again. it's like that that the sands of time mm -hmm. are pretty are not part particularly um, sensitive to human suffering, mm -hmm. um, but they are like pretty forgiving to like human glory. You know, so. Yeah. One day, I, one day, Somalia, Somalia will be a great place to go again. I think. I think my conclusion from this episode, which is like also my conclusion about the U.S. moving forward, is um, the longer we hold on to the heroism of America, mm -hmm. the longer the longer we're going to be stuck in this. Right. Death is only the beginning, conceptually, in a good way. Right now, I think, mm -hmm. and the quicker we're able to let go of um our own 
misconceptions about American heroism, um, the quicker we'll be able to get to a better place, a new, better place. Agreed. I and, like that. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. It's like, I, f- I fight American idealism, not because I think it needs to, it deserves to die the way justice, like we were talking about with like criminals right. and stuff. It's because I truly think that's the only way to really move on to something better. Mm-hmm. Um, and Japan, I think is my personal example of that where, you know, uh, I think the, for a lot of the people, we were only able to move past the weirdness of world war two post-war era because, um, the earthquake and the tsunami had, had, had redefined the national identity. Right. So I think emotionally Japanese people are moving towards something better because we were able to break out of the 20th century geopolitics that have really like held individual people mentally down. And I think yeah. the U S is in a place where like, that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Dead empires, man. Dead empires, bro. It's the only way to like live a little easier. Honestly, yeah, no, I don't want to live in an empire. Like, why would you want to be a part of that? There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing that you gain on a personal level by being a part of like a murderous, like hegemonic empire of the world. Exactly. Here's pour one out for dead empires. Seriously. I gotta say. Yeah. Seriously. That's how we'll leave it. Thank you guys. Yeah. Uh, this has been the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. If you want to get a hold of us, we're on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, thegillianfriendshipsimulator at gmail.com. Yeah. We love you guys. Love you all. Thank Thank you for listening. Adios. Adios.